Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. They take care of our air conditioning, and they'll do great work for you. Give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with uh, Esther Lully, who is the uh, executive director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. Brad Palumbo is the domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. And Michael Cannon, director of health studies at the Cato Institute, will be joining us as well. It is January the 7th, and Congress set this day in 1789 as the date by which states were required to choose electors for the country's first ever presidential election. A month later, on February the 4th, George Washington was elected president by the state electors and sworn into office on April the 30th, 1789. As it did in 1789, the United States still uses the Electoral College system established by the U.S. Constitution, which today gives all Americans Citizens over age 18 the right to vote for electors, who in turn vote for the president. The president and vice president are the only elected officials chosen by the Electoral College instead by uh, direct popular vote. Today, political parties usually nominate their slate of electors at the state conventions or by a vote of the party's central state committee, with party loyalists often being picked for the job. Members of the U.S. Congress, though, can't be electors. Each state is allowed to choose as many electors as it has senators and representatives in Congress during a presidential election year on Election Day, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. The electors from the party then get uh, the most popular votes are elected in a winner-take-all system, with the exception of Maine and Nebraska, who allocate electors proportionately to how the uh, state vote works out. In order to win the presidency, a candidate needs a majority of the 200 of 270 electoral votes out of a possible 538. On the first uh, Monday after the second Tuesday or Wednesday in December of presidential election year, each state's electorals electors meet, usually in the state capital, and simultaneously cast their ballots nationwide. This is largely ceremonial because electors nearly always vote with their party. Presidential elections are essentially decided on Election Day. Although electors aren't constitutionally mandated to vote for the winner of the popular vote in their state, it is demanded by tradition and required by law in 26 states and the District of Columbia. In some states, the violating this rule is punishable by a $1,000 fine. Historically, over 99% of all electors have cast their ballots in line with the voters. Although there's always some suspense at the, uh, on, on that day. On January the 6th, as a formality, you know that date too well, the electoral votes are counted before Congress, and on uh, January the 20th, the commander-in-chief is sworn into office. Source critics of the Electoral College argue that the winner-take-all system makes it possible for a candidate to be elected president, even if he gets fewer votes, uh, popular votes, than his opponent. This happened in elections 1824, 1876, 1888, 2000, and 2016. 
course, if it was by popular vote, uh, candidates would only need to really campaign in large metropolitan areas because the uh, votes of people in rural and suburban areas wouldn't be as important. So the Electoral College is a good thing, quite frankly. Uh, the founders, as usual, thought it through and uh, had a good idea in terms of establishing our republic. It's not a democracy, it's a republic. Public school classes are canceled again in Chicago this week with the teachers' union on strike until at least January the 18th. The last two-week closure lasted about a year. Worse, now the uh, teacher union virus has spread to Maryland, New Jersey, and San Francisco, where unions are threatening to school lockdowns similar to that in Chicago. Chicago's left-wing Democrat Mayor Lori Lightfoot complains correctly that the unions are holding kids hostage. Then why is she paying the ransom to these hostage-takers? Why doesn't she call this a health and safety emergency and fire the striking teachers the way Reagan did when he fired the air traffic controllers when they tried to shut down airline travel in America? Get the kids open, get the schools open, and, and bring people in who will teach the kids. Like that idea? I like it a lot. Arizona uh, Governor Doug Ducey, who's taking executive action to provide vouchers to parents in any Arizona school district that shuts down so that families can find alternative education opportunities. How about that idea? I like that, too. Why doesn't every governor in America sign on to that idea? Time to play hardball with the evil empire of the teachers' union. Anti-schoolers have really run out of excuses, run through some of the devastating effects of school closures, and then proven ineffectiveness at stopping COVID-19. Time to take action. Uh, improve the quality of our education as we have here in Florida. Really pleased with what the Governor, Commissioner of Education have done, along with the Florida Citizens Alliance, who we have on the show each week. Yesterday, Democrats in D.C. and the mainstream media gave themselves overly, over completely to the look back on January 2021 and the extraordinary horrors of a riot that lasted a few hours, had no looting fires, community destruction, or police deaths, and saw only one death police hands outright murder the whole event was likely uh like the academy awards not the long distance academy awards of beautiful people celebrating movie uh, america's loved americans loved instead it was the modern academy awards with hate-filled people ranting against americans making boring stupid speeches and getting interrupted by badly staged musical numbers for the most ridiculous speech went to Kamala Harris for comparing events on January the 6th, 2021 to Pearl Harbor and 9-11. Just for context, the attacks on Pearl Harbor killed 2,335 military personnel and 68 civilians, as well as partially destroying the Pacific Fleet. It marked the immediate start of American involvement in the world world that, uh, war that left 407,000 Americans killed. The attack on 9-11 killed 2,996 civilians. The protest on January 6th resulted in a police officer killing one unarmed woman. So, uh, as President Joe Biden finished his tirade on the anniversary of the Capitol riot that left one Trump supporter dead at the hands of law enforcement, former President Donald Trump fired back in a series of statements. These are precious. These are just fantastic. Biden, he wrote, who is destroying our nation with insane policies of open borders, corrupt elections, disastrous energy policy, 
and unconstitutional mandates and devastating school closures used my name today to try to further divide America. Throughout his speech, Biden made reference to Trump as the former president, but did not use his name. Lead up to the speech yesterday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked if the president would speak Trump's name during the speech, and Psaki said she was, was sure everyone would know who he was talking about. That's for sure. The political theater, Trump continued, is all just a distraction for the fact Biden was completely and totally failed. Our uh, country no longer has borders, has totally and completely lost control of COVID, record numbers, is no longer energy independent, inflation is rampant, our military is in chaos, and our exit or surrender from Afghanistan was perhaps the most embarrassing day in the long and distinguished history of the United States, and so much more. Why is it that the unselect committee, Trump said, referring to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee, of totally partisan political hacks whose judgment has long ago been made, not discussing the rigged presidential election of 2020, he said. It's because they don't have the answers or justifications for what happened. They got away with something, and it's leading our country's, uh, leading to our destruction. We all wanted conversation concerning the election canceled. Just look at the numbers. They speak for themselves. They're not justifiable, and so the complicit media just calls it the big lie which is actually, the big lie was the election itself. The Democrats want to own this day of January the 6th. Trump went on, so they can stoke fears and divide America. I say, let them have at it, because America sees right through their lies and polarization. In a follow-up statement, Trump said that Biden is working hard to try and deflect the incompetent job he's doing and has done on the horrible Afghanistan withdrawal, the borders, covid Inflation, loss of energy independence, and much more. Everything he touches turns to failure. <laughs> Failure's one word. That's what you get when you have a rigged election, said the president. Canceled a press conference yesterday and uh, put out this uh, press release. Pretty darn good. Certainly sums it up pretty well. By the way, Biden's numbers continue to plummet in the polls. Only 35% of respondents approved of President Joe Biden's job and according to a rolling job approval average, Biden also received record high 56% disapproval from the poll, which 9% have no opinion. The poll showed Biden with a net approval of negative 20. This comes as Biden has been in office just less than a year and has dealt with a host of problems so far. Supply chain crisis, record high inflation, botched Afghanistan withdrawal, Biden is the lowest job approval among the 18 to 34-year-old group. Can you imagine that? As 27% and 58% disapprove, 65-year-old plus olds gave Biden the highest approval at only 41% and 54% disapproval. The president was underwater with women and men. Men only showed 31% approval while 62% disapproving, while women showed 39% approval and 50% disapproval. Broken down by race, with white respondents showed 28% approval. However, Biden was roughly the opposite among black respondents, who indicated 63% approval and 20% disapproval. Biden's uh, job performance is underwater in 46 states, including California, which is considered a solidly blue state in the presidential elections, and overwhelmingly voted for Biden. And tied in Maryland and uh, Massachusetts, Hawaii, and Vermont have positive ratings. President. 
Lethal Lynch. By the way, Biden has spent over 25% of his presidency on vacation in Delaware. And currently, President Donald Trump is now uh, more popular than he was when he left office, according to surveys among Republicans. 85% have a favorable view, with uh, 63% declaring a very favorable opinion. Even 23% of Democrats and 51% of independents agree. So interesting. Of course, the president's going to be in Arizona this weekend. We'll look forward to his rally. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Higher Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way towards keeping seniors connected in the community with each other. Serving all of Collier County, the Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding resources and services that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers, empowering seniors to maintain independent, meaningful lives. Programs are offered free of charge in a safe, welcoming space and focus on fellowship, enrichment, and wellness continuing education and meeting basic needs through offerings such as daily hot lunch, health screenings, and counseling services. So whether you're looking for referrals to services or a vibrant place to make friends, enjoy community support, or learn something new, Collier Senior Resources at the Golden Gate Senior Center is your Collier Senior Center. To learn more about programs and services, please visit CollierSeniorResources.org. That's CollierSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly, 239 239- 252-4534. That's 252-3534. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a brand new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. 
Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Esther Lully. She is the executive director of the Goldgate Senior Center. We just heard that commercial. Right now, we have with us William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. Uh, You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of free society at every level of government. Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org is a very robust website. I hope you check it out. Now, William, uh, any comments about yesterday's proceedings on Capitol Hill and what, what happened with regard to the anniversary of January the 6th? Well, sure. The, uh, I'll note this at the outset um, that I accord. You know, we've spoken about what, what transpired on, on, on January 6th a number of times about a year ago, and um, I think it was disgraceful. It was a terrible day. Um, I, I think it was more buffoonery than you know, armed insurrection. Um, but setting all that aside, um, I, I wasn't very impressed by the president's speech yesterday. Um, I think it was an opportunity to strike a more hopeful, even not conciliatory tone, but, uh, you know, the, the, um, it went out of its, it was fixated on Trump. Um, and I think it went out of its way to attack him repeatedly. And then the fact is he still has a wide base of support. So it's, you know, uh, effectively telling them all to, um, to bugger off. And, um, I just thought that was, he could have struck a, a I thought it was an opportunity to strike a more grace, graceful tone that I think would have accomplished more politically, and I think it, it read more like a campaign speech, right. which I think was an inappropriate tone. I agree with that. I think basically that's all they've got right now is attacking Trump, because in terms of policies, they are failing miserably, so uh, that's unfortunate indeed. Yeah, there was a great opportunity to have a more conciliatory tone. I think that's a great observation, William. Uh, let's let's move to what's happening on Capitol Hill. And uh, is Build Back Better dead? I mean, is it, or are they pivoting now to trying to get federal voting uh, laws in place? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, it, it, the situation is fluid. So when we last spoke, um, Schumer was reportedly going to play hardball with Manchin, and he vowed to hold a series of votes on on a Build Back Better to hold Manchin's feet to the fire. Um, but then at the beginning of January, he just sort of uh, dropped that altogether and performed a wholesale pivot to something even more controversial, um, the nationalization of voting procedures, you know, countrywide, um, you know, under the rubric of, quote unquote, voting rights. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure, you know, where that came from. I, I guess I, I understand now that they tried to tie it to January 6th. Um, mm. but not quite sure. You know, I, I see the connection there, but um, ultimately, as with Build Back Better, um, the, it's going to be Manchin and Cinema who are very much a roadblock here to, to pass this nationalization of, um, of, of votes or national votes. Um, you know, I'm going to say in contravention to uh, the Constitution, um, they would require uh, to eliminate their. They would, uh, they would necessitate a rules change to get rid of the filibuster. Um, before any subsequent vote could take place, and they're simply not there. I mean, neither on the, the, the Senate rules change nor on the underlying uh, legislation itself. They don't have the support of the moderate senators. So this seems to be political posturing. Um, as we noted last call, this is uh, you know, an election year, which makes everything that much more difficult on Capitol Hill. 
not just because uh, lawmakers are spending so much time on the campaign trail, um, but because everything gets uh, part and parcel um, uh, of these elections. So that is to say, uh, not sure what's going on here. Um, you know, he seems to be a bit flailing about mm. um, that, that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, you know, lurching from uh, one doomed prospect to another. So um, the situation, again, is fluid. Um, and it's the build back better. I'll say this by putting it on the back burner. I would say, yes, it's all but dead. Just because, again, as this year progresses, it becomes less and less likely that anything major could pass. Yeah, so interesting. So this uh, you know, voting on the filibuster, that is a real concern for our republic. Uh, it, I, am I hearing you say that there's not much chance that that's going to happen? I did, well, at most, what's, being on the, what's on the table right now is a carve-out. So there's already been carve-outs for the president's uh, appointees and also Supreme Court nominees. Um, they want to further uh, establish a, yet another carve-out, in this instance specifically for uh, one of these voting, quote-unquote, voting rights legislation. So it wouldn't be a wholesale abandonment of the filibuster. It would be... Uh, um, you know, this carve-out, however, it mentions opposition, sentiment's opposition, is that it's a slippery slope, um, that you start talking about a death by a thousand cuts to the institution of, of the filibuster that, you know, has been a part of the Senate for a long, long time. Um, it does serve, I think, a salutary, uh, salutary role in our constitutional system. Yeah. The Senate is, as we learn in grade school, the saucer that's supposed to cool the, the cup of, uh, you know, of passions that are engendered in the House of Representatives. So, um, it, it, I, I, that is to say, yeah. um, I think a wholesale rejection of the filibuster is wholly unlikely, whereas, and I think a carve-out uh, for one of these putative voting rights measures is also unlikely. I would certainly hope so. I had talked to a young person who's complaining to me that Congress can't get anything done, <laughs> and my retort was, and that's a good thing. <laughs> here, here. Well, I'll note this. That's the way the founders intended it. You know, it's hard for a bill to become a law on purpose yeah. because the founding fathers were appropriately suspicious of big government. You know, and uh, the other thing that's happened today, as actually of uh, the Electoral College meeting in 1789 and to, sell, to uh, bring together uh, Washington's uh, election as president of the United States, uh, are the Republicans going to you know, perhaps cooperate with the Democrats to change the electoral uh, college count? Well, so the electoral count act, and yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, that is reportedly this week um, going to be the, the the meat and potatoes or GOP counter offer on all this, you know, quote unquote voting rights stuff. And, and I'll say here, this isn't a bad idea. Um, the, the Electoral Count Act is woefully vague and, and has been used by both parties, you know, over many election cycles to um, uh, two ends that are uh, everyone can agree are disruptive, um, regardless, you know, regardless of where one sits on the political divide. So uh, I think lending precision to that law, and in particular the vice president's role in the process. Uh, established by that law, um, by which, you know, the Congress certifies or, in essence, uh, approves the state certification process of uh, uh, the Electoral College. Um, I, I'm open to that. That's something that I think is actually a good idea. Hmm. Um, I'll say this, that Schumer rejected it out of hand. He even he called it insufficient and offensive, this counteroffer, which seems a bit beyond the pale. I mean, I, I think it was a good faith effort by McConnell 
Um, and, and again, I don't think that's a bad idea to provision to a law that has caused, um, that due to its ambiguity, has caused some problems in the past. Yeah, so interesting. Well, we'll have to find out more about that. William Yateman, again, a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C A T O.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. Michael is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking and old, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Inn Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. Find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions. Visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Brad Palumbo. He is the uh, uh, domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon, the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you, Michael. Hey, I understand you're in Orlando today with a, a conference. That's right. The Cato Institute every year puts on a conference for state-focused free market think tanks to share with them what we know about, uh, about health care reform, how to make they're better and more uh, widely available and more secure. 
especially for the most vulnerable. And so that's what we're doing. We're doing it in Orlando this year, uh, a day and a half of programming where uh, we give them ideas that they can take to their state capitals uh, and, and hopefully get them enacted so that we can get more people healthcare. We've had some success with that in areas like allowing doctors to give away free medical care because some state governments actually prohibit that yeah. in many cases. Well, you know, you're doing important work. I must say, if there's anything that's broke right now in our uh, republic, I would suggest that healthcare might be at the top of the list. But moving on, uh, you know, we're, we're in this Omicron variant crisis now here in the United States, around the world, around the globe, actually. I just want to get your comments and thoughts. So the epidemiologists who are watching Omicron are predicting that we'll get a big surge of cases this month. Bigger than we've seen uh, for any other month since COVID has appeared, and uh, and so people should be prepared for that, uh, for possibly getting Omicron themselves, possibly uh, their uh, uh, their family members, their teach their children's teachers, or uh, folks at work, and there will be disruptions as a result of this. Uh, that's the bad news. The, uh, the the less bad news, or almost good news, is that Omicron appears to be less dangerous. It leads to fewer hospitalizations uh, than uh, previous variants, including Delta. That's to the good. To the extent, even though Omicron is, is able in some cases to evade prior immunity through vaccines or through prior infections, it does seem to be less dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and still, and still, the prior infections and the vaccination should help because it doesn't. Omicron doesn't completely evade uh, prior immunity. Uh, vaccination remains the safest way to protect yourself against COVID nineteen, including the Omicron variant. And and so, uh, while there will be Epidemiologists expect there to be more cases. Whether there are more hospitalizations and, and more serious disease from Omicron remains to be seen. And one possible area for hope is that if Omicron does prove to be this, you know, more contagious but less dangerous uh, version of COVID-19 and sweeps through the population, hopefully, it gives people uh, uh, immunity yep. to subsequent variants, so maybe we won't see this sort of a, a you know, a new variant do this through the population. Um, it, it remains to be seen, though, we may be living with uh, COVID-19 like we live with, and I, I hate to say live with flu, because tens of thousands of people die every year from uh, influenza, and uh, it would be great if we could prevent that from happening with yeah. COVID-19. So uh, the president of the United States is still referring to COVID-19 as the pandemic of the unvaccinated. That seems a little off base to me in terms of it's not reality based, because I think what we're understanding now is Omicron is attacking even the vaccine. In, in, in fact, I've seen one study that suggests that even more than uh, the unvaccinated. Uh, I have not seen that study, but it, it, it is the case that vaccines are less effective than Omicron. So it's not entirely a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, at the same time, 
vaccination remains, as I said, the safest way to protect yourself and your family members against Omicron and your neighbors against Omicron. So interesting. So, uh, and I would also suggest if you're going to, and it's probably not a bad time to contract Omicron <laughs> because if, to your point about developing natural immunity, uh, if the symptoms are mild, cold-like, if you will, uh, might be a good time to, I mean, maybe it's a time to be less concerned about contracting it. Well, a couple things about that. The symptoms uh, in general are mild, but they will be severe for many people. Mm-hmm. And the worst time to contract a disease is during a surge, because that's when the hospital beds are going to be filled. That's when it's, uh, I mean, the, the projection of uh, the number of cases that we're likely to see with Omicron uh, really dwarf the case numbers from uh, previous months. Yeah. Uh, one epidemiologist writing in the New York Times estimates the, uh, the midpoint in the range of outcomes is by the end of January, we could have more than 15 million cases of Omicron, where the previous month's five was five, and that was January of 2021. Yeah, so, 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 so this whole thing seems so to this be attended. This could be a big surge in cases, and it, it builds up the hospitals. Uh, the, the way COVID-19 has in the past, it could be a very bad time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we see people lined up around the block in order to get tested. Our own governor here in Florida said, hey, don't get tested. It doesn't serve any, if you're healthy, uh, don't get tested. Just it uses up the test and it doesn't do any good because 40% of the case are asymptomatic. Anyhow, any comments on that? So I hate when government officials tell people not to buy things because they don't need them. Um, well, uh, he's not saying he's saying it because they're not available. He's saying there's a shortage. Well, but that's yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting to that. It, one thing is paternalistic. The other thing is that it, it's, it assumes that it's a zero sum game. That but demand for tests should produce more tests. The reason that this isn't happening is because the FDA is standing in the way of right of the manufacturers of these tests, uh, marketing them and uh, selling them in the United States. They are more widely available in other countries. Uh, I have at home some tests from the British National Health Service because, you know, it was easier for a friend who is in the UK to bring me back some of those tests. I have a colleague who uh, is a British national brought to the United States a ton of those tests so because he knew that they would be harder to get here. Yeah. And, and this is, we've talked about this before. This is another way that the healthcare sector in the United States is less of a free market than it is in other countries. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are other ways that their systems might be less of a free market than ours, but this is one where freedom really suffers, one area where freedom really suffers yeah. in the United States because the FDA does so much to bottle up these tests. Absolutely. Michael Cannon, again, he, the work you're doing, I hope that conference goes well because you have, have a big task ahead of you. Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Again, the website, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Esther Dolly. Esther is the executive director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. It's now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall and a classical virtual school, Optima Classical Academy, will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. And you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Brad Palumbo from the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Esther Lully. She is the executive director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. Esther, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Bob, for the opportunity. Good morning. Good morning to you, Esther. Glad to have you on the show. And uh, you're our new executive director. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your background. My pleasure. Well, Bob, I've always had a desire to add value to the lives of people, especially those who are underserved or disadvantaged. I've had the experience working with disadvantaged children, rehabilitation clients from low-income families seeking housing, and at-risk youth. And so now I'm very grateful to place my focus on improving the lives of seniors in Collier County through the mission of Collier Senior Resources. Yeah, great great organization. Uh, maybe, you could Absolutely. De- maybe you could tell us a little bit about what is the Golden Gate Senior Center? Well, for our listeners tuning in who may be hearing about us for the first time, thank you so much for that question. The organization was formed in 2010 as a senior center without walls to offer 
resources and information to seniors and their caregivers. In 2014, we, meaning the Call Your Senior Resource, we opened our doors at the Golden Gate Senior Center. And since 2014, uh, CFR at the Golden Gate Senior Center has been providing a wide range of services for seniors, and we're able to do this really through the successful collaboration with many community partners. We have more than 1,400 registered members who benefit from our services at no charge, uh, providing about 20-plus programs each week. And so some of those services we provide include the Collier County Daily Hot Lunch, which serves more than 1,200 hot lunches a month Hmm. to seniors in need, the Meals of Hope Weekly Food Pantry, which is accessible to over 780 families here in Collier County, including roughly about 330 needy seniors, uh, AARP job placement programs. And we also have a direct assistance program where we provide financial relief for needy seniors in the areas of rent, utility bills, car insurance, and various necessities. And our social service coordinator also does case management and other social services needs. And for mental health, we have the Upslide program, which helps meet the social and isolation um, UPSLIDE stands for Utilizing and Promoting Social Engagement for Loneliness, Isolation, and Depression in the Elderly. So it's a social engagement program that combats isolation and depression through a friendship chat group and mental health counseling. And I've had the privilege to sit in on one of these group therapy sessions with um, our senior ladies and watching the you know therapists facilitate this session, it was very humbling to watch and yeah. just seeing them open to one another. So I definitely see the work and not certainly not, not last but least, um, we also have recreational programs, art programs such as painting, music. We do bingo, monthly birthdays, acknowledgement and parties and holiday celebration along with health screenings and assessments. So as I said earlier, we we do about 20 programs um, that's operating weekly at the site. So it's a very vibrant, diverse, and caring atmosphere for sure. It certainly sounds like it. I mean, I'm focusing on and thinking about uh, the the problem of isolation and loneliness among seniors. I've actually seen this with the people that, you know, as our circle of friendships uh, becomes smaller and smaller as we get older, Many people just end up alone, and uh, this is a great resource. This kind of sounds like a one-stop shopping for uh, for anything yes. you might need as a senior. That is the goal. I, that is the goal. I would love, as we continue to move forward in enhancing the program, um, definitely make it a one-stop shop. So you hit it right on the nail. And just last week, I had an opportunity, um, Bob, to speak with a member, and he's fairly new. He's only been there for two months, and I was just curious as to, you know, what what brought him here, making conversation with him. And it was through that I found out that this member gets dialysis treatment three times a week, and he takes the cat transportation to get to the center. And he says he enjoys coming because he feels welcome, and he gets to have fellowship with other members rather than being isolated at home. So I really get to witness the impact and value that our organization, you know, um, and the program and services that we provide and witness how it enriches the lives of our members. And Bob, it connects even deeper when I get to sit and, and talk with them. It, it's such a beautiful group of individuals. So 
this program really is in need. Many, many seniors could benefit from our programs, and we want to get the word out there so their caregivers can also know that and could possibly help them you know, bring them to the site. Well, Esther, I must say that uh, the board of directors made a great choice when they decided to bring you aboard because you effused so much enthusiasm about the mission. So it's mm -hmm. so exciting. Uh, thank you so much, Bob. It, it really is a supportive and a wonderful board. I have a great team, and I know we're going to be successful. Of course, we just got to continue to put the work in and strategize. But the mission is great. It's needed. And CSR is definitely here to stay, for uh, sure. That's <laughs> wonderful to hear. And uh, Esther, uh, let's talk about the location, uh, the website, the phone number. How do we get in touch? How do we find out more? Absolutely. And also, I want to mention that we serve senior citizens starting from 60 years of age and older. Mm -hmm. But And with that, you can find more information at our site at callyourseniorresources.org. Our number is 239-252-4541. And we're located at 4898 Coronado Parkway next to the Golden Gate Library. And walk-ins, of course, are always, always welcome. Uh, sounds so exciting. So again, CollierResources, org is the yes. website, CollierSeniorResources. And people can just drop by, kind of do a walkthrough, kind of check it out, ask some questions, not a problem, and uh, you don't need to make an appointment. Nope, absolutely. Okay. Just come on in. We're open, and we operate Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Great. Esther, always yeah. appreciate your commentary here on the show. Welcome aboard to the Collier uh, Senior Resource Center as well as the Golden Gate uh, Senior Center. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thank you so much. And just before I go, I, I, would, I, I certainly have to give a thank you to the many wonderful organizations that helped our mission to be successful. And if it wasn't through the generosity and the benevolence of our community partners, our grantors, donors, volunteers, staff, and, and board, uh, we wouldn't have the success that we have today. So we are very cognizant of the enormous support that we receive consistently through all the parties that I've mentioned. So I, I just have to certainly give them a shout out. So thank you so much for this opportunity, Bob. And thank you for using your platform My, to promote the mission of Collier Senior Resources. Esther, happy to do it again. CollierResources.org. Esther, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh -huh. Okay, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Brad Palumbo. He is the domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Terrific organization. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year. And since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. 
St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity, maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Brad Palumbo. He is the domestic correspondent for the Foundation for Economic Education. Brad, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Brad. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Well, we are the oldest free market think tank in the country, uh, and people can head. And our mission is to spread, you know, the message of capitalism and economic freedom to the next generation. And people who want to check out our work can head to fee.org. Fee.org, and I must say, uh, kids, high school, college age, tremendous positive impact for these young people, and uh, they don't get the exposure they need to the ideas of classical liberal economics, and that's where you're going to get them. Uh, I've been to national conferences for Fee, for the Foundation for Economic Education. It's just great. So if you have a young person in your life those ages, check out fee.org, and it's great information for all of us as well. Brad, I want to start off by asking you about yesterday's. Kabuki Theater, I'm going to call it, <laughs> what happened with regard to the response to the anniversary of uh, January 6th. Yeah, so I honestly thought that many of the proceedings from the political class in Washington on the anniversary of this day were downright offensive. Kamala Harris, for example, gave a speech where she compared January 6th to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. That is truly, truly offensive because 3,000 innocent Americans died on 9-11, 2,403 innocent Americans died on Pearl Harbor, only one person died directly as a result of the January 6th riot, and it was actually one of the rioters. So I think that it is really grotesque, some of the overwrought hyperbole we've seen in terms of these people seeking to exploit this, this event. And I can I have a nuanced take on this because I can say that on one hand, the reaction to it and from the media and from many of these elected Democrats was really gross and overwrought. But I do think what happened on that day was unacceptable. And I think people need to peacefully protest for their ideas, not break into buildings or, or riot. Um, but two things can be true. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of people are trying to exploit this and make it out to be so much more than it was. 
you know, I couldn't agree more, Brad. Quite frankly, I'm, I'm also concerned about uh, the fact that there may be uh, FBI informants and operatives involved in the entire process. This uh, Epps, Ray Epps guy, apparently, who was uh, for both on the 5th and 6th encouraging people to go to the Capitol and to break in or to, to go into the Capitol. Uh, the, I think there's another part of the story we're not hearing as well. So while it's unacceptable, I think that uh, it may have been in part orchestrated by the feds. So uh, Certainly can't put it past them. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Hey, so I want to ask you a little bit about policy. We've heard a lot about the IRS looking into and having access to our financial transactions, $600 or more, so forth. Any, any update on that? What's happening? Yes. So I warned about this, Bob. Most people did not notice this, but I warned about this many months ago when President Biden passed his American Rescue Plan, that massive COVID-19 relief legislation. They slipped a provision into that that is a tax crackdown on independent contractors, freelancers, and small business owners. One way this is manifesting itself is that the IRS will now get access to your PayPal and Venmo transactions with anybody if you exceed $600 a year. Hmm. And to be clear, they're not technically raising anyone's taxes. What they are doing is there's a lot of money um, that isn't actually reported by independent contractors and freelancers and small business owners. Um, even though it technically is supposed to be, but now they're going to snoop into your IR, your the IRS is going to snoop into your Venmo payment, which for folks that don't know, it's like a cash app transaction app on your phone, um, and invade your privacy to make sure they're squeezing every last dime out of independent contractors, freelancers, and small business owners. This isn't tax the rich. This is squeeze the workers. Yeah, you know. Uh... I get the unreported income on this show, and I report it all, actually, because I'm fearful that I, as a conservative, I'll be picked out and, <laughs> and attacked by the IRS. It, of course, the IRS has never been used in the past for political reasons, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a real concern. Yeah, I mean, Bob, I just did, I just did taxes with my accountant, and many things that normal, because I'm both a salaried employee and independent contractor— and there are a lot of things that normal independent contractors can do in terms of writing off their taxes uh, because they'll never get audited. They don't need, you know, fully documented every last cent or whatever. They can just kind of estimate things or whatever. But my accountant said very clearly, you need to not take any possible room yeah. for anybody who wants to come after you and find anything. Yeah. So I'm actually passing on a lot of deductions I could basically qualify for. I don't have every last cent documented. Well, you know, you can always get backup documentation. So I, I would encourage you to take every penny that you can in terms of deduction that's legal. That's the, the, the issue. certainly will for next year. <laughs> okay. Well, good, Brad. So, uh, you know, right now we're seeing temporary measures. This is so disappointing. Uh, the governor of California has decided he's going to extend the mask requirements indoors and uh, outdoors and uh, the lockdowns and all kinds of things in California to the February 15th. Now, if my uh, recollection is correct, the Super Bowl is on the 13th. So, I mean, the implications of what he's doing is just unbelievable. What are your thoughts? So, yeah, this is another example. Milton Friedman said there's no so there's nothing as permanent as a temporary government program. California has extended its temporary mask mandate again and again and again. And now it's February 15th. One thing I, I, 
be surprised if there's some sort of exception for the Super Bowl or if they find a way to categorize that as outdoor, an indoor mask mandate. Um, but you're right. And that ruin the Super Bowl if you have to make all those people cover their faces. Um, that said, regardless of whether it's the Super Bowl or 10 people at a building somewhere, this kind of restriction on individual freedom is utterly indefensible. But it always was. But especially now that anyone who wants a vaccine can get one. As far as I'm concerned, the pandemic emergency is over. Right. Anyone, if you want the vaccine, I decided to take it. If you want to, go ahead. And if you choose not to, okay, well, if you get COVID, you're accepting a risk. Uh, and now let's all go live our lives. There's literally no emergency here anymore because everyone has the option to do this if they want. So we should all just go back to normal and people can make their own decisions and, and live with the consequences. I couldn't agree more. And of course, that's the position our governor has taken here in the state of Florida. He's kind of our firewall against the uh, intrusive government policy here of the uh, Biden administration. We're so grateful that we're not having a governor like California. Yeah, uh, Florida is looking better and better every day from D.C., Bob. It certainly, well, I tell you what, it's looking better for people that want to move out of blue states because they're coming down here in droves. It's just unbelievable. Fortunately, uh, they're conservative in, in terms of how they think about things. So uh, we've actually seen an increase from uh, a deficit of 700,000, in other words, more 700,000 more Democrats in Florida in 2008. Right now we have more Republicans than Democrats, which is kind of exciting. There you go. Yeah. Brad Palumbo, again, the website, fee.org, F-E-E.org. Brad, appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. On Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. If you've heard the show, show before, Mike, Mark and I see the world through a different prism. Uh, he's uh, much more central government than I am, but nevertheless, so it's always an interesting conversation. We'll be talking about current global affairs. We'll visit with Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author. He's written a couple of novels. His two latest are Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I always appreciate hearing from you. If you want to send me an email, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.